Hey guys, Tony here to tell you about Locked On Pacers' new sponsor, Draft. Uh, if you're like me, you're pretty into daily fantasy sports, but you don't really have time to do fantasy sports as much as others do, and it makes it harder to win in daily fantasy sports because some people unfortunately play it like a full, well not unfortunately, but some people play it like a full-time job, and that is where Draft comes in to help you. Draft is just one day fantasy sports, but there's no lineup management, and it lasts just one night, but the best part is it's a snake draft, so you can't be preparing ahead of times with your Excel sheets, and your, you know, you don't, you can't guarantee what players you're getting because it's a snake draft with real other people. It's not a salary cap league. So it's just like you play with your friends in a season long league, except it's just one day and you can play for cold hard cash. And some of these drafts start at just $1. So there's a draft for literally everyone. And of course, I wouldn't be telling you about this if I couldn't help you get a deal on draft because that's just what me and Adam like to do. So you can come me and join Adam on draft. That's capital D-R-A-F-T. You can download it in the app store today. If you want to join us, you can use the code uh, L-O Pacers at checkout for a $3 free draft. That is L-O Pacers. If you use that code, it lets them know you came from us and it lets you get a $3 free draft into the Locked On League. So make sure you do that. I'm sure you'll have a great time. And uh, yeah, I would highly recommend using draft. And now Adam's going to talk to you about the Thunder game. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Every day. All right, welcome in the Locked On Pacers podcast and a crossover show today with Locked On Cavaliers host Chris Manning. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, man. Happy to do a crossover and get into some Central Division basketball action. Yeah, if uh, for all the fans out there, if they didn't know, they probably know, but the Cavs and Pacers play this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, I believe the game is, at 7 o'clock in Indiana. Um, you probably catch that on your local broadcast stuff. There's no, na- it's on not any national um, stations, but so obviously Cleveland and Indiana will play four times this year. They do every year. My first question for you, Chris, really is: Is LeBron going to play this time? There's been a couple times he hasn't played against Indiana over the past few years. Yeah, I would say he will. Um, he the ankle injury that he's dealt with seems to be fine. You know, he's played. I think the space out schedule helps. I mean, the Cavs committed this game not playing they play on Sunday um we're recording this on a Sunday but like they, they will play on Sunday assuming he doesn't get hurt in that game they have no games Monday Tuesday uh new NBA rest policy kind of means it'd be harder for him to take off a game like that but I would I would expect him to play and it seems like the Cavs will come in with everyone holding that game if if what we're kind of hearing so far ends up being correct yeah so I assume he's going to play. I know the past couple of times, what they do with the Pacers and Cavs sometimes is schedule them on back-to-backs because there's such a short distance of travel. It's like it's justifiable if like either say Cleveland plays at home one night and then goes to Indiana. Like that's a justifiable back-to-back because mm-hmm. the distance, you know, it's a it's an hour flight. It's it's pretty easy for these guys. So that's how they justify it. But assuming LeBron plays, my first question, my second question to you then is, uh, you know, as you know, not following the Cavs every day like some Pacer fans out there are. Uh, LeBron played point guard. Was it against? It was against the Bulls, right? Last Tuesday, he played point guard, and then played it against the Pelicans due to Derrick Rose being okay. out with an ankle injury and Isaiah Thomas still being out with this hip injury. So then, I've been following a little bit from afar. But what are your thoughts of LeBron at point guard? Is it just you know what we see him in the playoffs, or just is it something that's going to work the rest of the year? What's kind of your thoughts? I mean, I think it's something with. Just, I mean, it's just kind of an adjustment what the Cavs are doing. I think they like having another playmaker on the team to kind of take some of that pressure off of him. But I think if we're 
kind of looking at the Cavs as a not in a non-positional sense. You have a guy like LeBron who is going to handle the ball that name. He's going to create. I think that the differences you're seeing is that maybe he's being a little bit more aggressive off the bat now. And some of that is a style change for the Cavs this year. Something I think Pacers fans will watch in this game is the Cavs will push the ball a little bit more. And some of that is LeBron. Some of that is he's getting rebounds and going. He's getting outlet passes off of generally possessions last year where they would have just given the ball to Kyrie and not done anything with them. You're seeing LeBron push. And I think when he's at point guard, he's, he's dictating things a little bit more than he already is. It's not a significantly amount more, but it's, 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 it's a little bit more of the ball in his hands and he's picking things out. It's, it's not like a huge change from what they've done though. I think it's just the same thing you see. Kind It's kind of like if you watch the Cavs last year when he was running bench units and they would, you know, they'd have a, a nominal point guard on the floor, whether it was Amon Shumper, whether it was Darren Williams, whether it was somebody else. Um, it's just like that, but just a little bit earlier in the game than you're used to seeing it with personnel you're not used to seeing it with. Yeah, to bring up some haunting memories for Pacers fans. I do remember last year, game three in the NBA playoffs, first round series of the Cavs Pacers. LeBron basically did that. He became the bench unit point guard when the Cavs. I decided to just not play Kevin Love and Kyrie at all in the second half when they were losing by 25. And, of course, LeBron brings them all the way back, and they win that game and sweep the Pacers of the year. But, you know, that's kind of what I imagined with what LeBron was going to do if he when he became the point guard. And I think – I mean, I think that suits him the best. I think even if he's not playing guarding point guards, if he has a ball in his hands, the Cavs are the best-suited team because he is the best player on the court every time on any court he steps on. He's got – incredible vision. I like to think of him almost as like a Tom Brady out of basketball court where he can just know exactly where he wants to go with the ball, make a play. You know, he he's incredibly strong. And some of those passes that he can do from down low across the court, I mean, it's just, it's just things that maybe only Maddox Johnson could ever do in his career where he can make a pass one-handed by a defender all the way to the three-point corner for an open three for a guy. So he's been incredible. He has averaging 8.8 assists this year, which is I think I don't know where that sits on his career wise, but I assume that's close to his career high. I mean, he's putting up a 26, 9, 7 right now. That's that's incredible. Um, but then I want to move on to the other star on this Cavs team, which is Kevin Love. So Kevin Love kind of is stepping into a bigger role this year without Kyrie. What has been kind of your early thoughts on him? Um, I've generally liked what Kevin Love's done. I think the Pelicans game is the first game where he shot well, and that can be his five of six from three. They didn't. The, he wasn't getting threes off of any particularly unique action or any elbow action, like maybe like you saw him do in Minnesota, and that he hasn't done with the Cavs. But he he was hitting shots against the Pelicans, a good sign for him considering he was struggling to hit threes to start the year. He's been bad on defense. I don't. I, I think if you've seen any clips or watched the Cavs in any of the last few games, that that's been clear. They've been objectively just dreadful on defense. They're defending threes really bad. Um, Love's been, I mean, Love, again, if you look at the Bulls game, was closing out on Laurie Marketing with little to no effort or really focused, and that's been a problem. But if you look at what he's doing offensively, on that end of the floor where he is going to be most valuable, and you kind of just have to know that going in with Kevin Love, I think he's been really good. I think they are doing stuff with him on the elbow that is putting him into more of a facilitator role. Um, he's he's done well with it. I think it's it's not quite going to be what he was in Minnesota uh, by any means, but he's getting to do more. It's it's kind of getting him more involved in a in a big thing. And I mentioned this a little bit already, but when he's collecting defensive rebounds now, whether that's you know it's maybe going to change a little bit now if they're going to play him and Thompson together all the time as the starting duo again. But if you look at what he was doing early in the season and he's still done it. He's getting defensive rebounds and he's looking up the floor immediately. If you watch the Cavs the last couple of years with LeBron and Kyrie, they played at this very slow pace. And even if we wanted to go faster, 
the general move for them was to slow the ball down, to pass the ball off to a Kyrie LeBron and let them dribble up the floor, or Darren Williams last year uh, when he was playing back. A point guard this year, Love is looking up the floor. He's firing off outlet passes. So if Dwayne Wade or LeBron or or J.R. Smith or anybody really is up the floor already and is past the defense, they're in a position where Kevin Love can find them and the offense gets into that that pace and it's attacking right off the, right off the rebounds. That adds an interesting dimension to the Cavs. They still kind of are figuring that out. They're still kind of developing that mindset and that sort of workaround. But um, if you look at what they kind of are doing with that, it's a, way, it's a way to maximize love in a way they haven't done before. And it's a way that really is simple. It doesn't mean you have to change your offense at all. It just gives Kevin Love a, the ability and the freedom to kind of do something he's already really good at. So do you like him at the center position over the power forward position just because it fits him more naturally? I think he, I think it does personally just from the way he plays and especially in the stretch way the NBA has gone to kind of the stretch out. I mean, defensively it's, it's a problem. Um, like he, he certainly is going to struggle against bigger centers. I mean, there aren't a ton of teams that have those guys. I mean, Indiana might be one with miles Turner where I'd be concerned a little bit, but if you look at what he can do offensively, I do like the idea of going small and it has the added benefit of, maximizing LeBron James's time on the floor with Jake Crowder. And I, and I think that's something the Cavs really want to do to get LeBron in that free safety type role that Pacers fans will know from the first round last year where LeBron was not defending Paul George and he was roaming off of other guys. They, they want to do that to an extent. They've gone back to Thompson and Love. I think Lewis said that they don't want to have Love beat down too much in that role, and I get that because he is going to take a big bruising. But I, I do like him in those minutes. It's, when he's hitting threes and there's other spacers on the floor, it's an effective offensive lineup. There are certainly defensive issues with it. You have to kind of pick and choose how much you want to use it. But I, I, do, I think he's fine either way. I think um, the Cavs are in a position where LeBron on offense kind of means Love's going to do a lot of spot up either way. Um, and I, th- I think if you can find the right workable lineups defensively where LeBron and Crowder help love with rebounding, I think it can be a really, really good lineup. It wouldn't shock me if, at least on one end of the floor, that's kind of what the Cavs close with when they kind of figure everything out, which may not, may not be for a while, but I, I think love at the five is, should be a big part of what they're going to do this year. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I like Kevin Love at the five personally. I think the way the NBA has gone, yeah, he's a little bit undersized for that spot, but there aren't that many traditional centers that are just going to beat him up down low. I mean, you know, obviously with the Cavs, you think in the terms of the Warriors, that's the team we're going to have to probably play at the end of the day. And, you know, in June, that's who they're going to end up playing. And besides, you know, the, if the Warriors go small and play Draymond at the five, Kevin Love does have the ability to at least he doesn't get undersized at that point. So I like him at the five. I think them experimenting him at the center position is really good to start, get him a lot of reps in there. Cause I think he's such a, you know, underrated, I think, a time offensive player where he is one of, you know, one of the more skilled big men on offense where he can see the court like you were talking about and make passes that are just are, are really kind of like incredible at times. And then he's just like a, a pretty solid three point shooter. I mean, he shoots in the in the mid 30s. He shoots, you know, 50 percent from from the field most or from two point for most of the time. Like He's a just a, a overall better than average you know, score probably even in the top 30 and scoring in this league, maybe at times if he's given the opportunity. So I think at the center position, he plays is best fit for him. Um, just a quick reminder to all listeners out there, uh, you can listen to the Locked On Pacers podcast, the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, or any of the Locked On shows by searching us on iTunes or on Stitcher and uh, wherever you get your podcast. Those are kind of the main places. Also, you can listen to one of uh, Cleveland's sister pods or brother pods in uh, Locked On Browns. There's not a Locked On Colts yet, but we're trying to get that. Um, so then... 
we talked about the Cavs for the first eight or nine minutes. So, so let's move on to the Pacers. Um, I don't know how much you've watched the Pacers. How much have you watched the Pacers so far this year, Chris? Uh, three games. I, I so I do the in addition to Fear the Sword and uh, this podcast. I do the power rankings at Fansided, so I try to at least watch every team a couple of times. Uh, my my big first big question for you is what have you made of their early season run? Like they're they've been they've had. I mean, Miles Turner's been was hurt. I don't know. I don't remember exactly if he's back in. You can answer that as well. But what have you made of what this team is post Paul George with Victor Oladipo and and Sabonis in? Um, so like you said with Turner, Turner played the first game is probably not going to play the Pacers. Like we said, we're doing this on a Sunday recording this right now. Not going to probably play. He's not going to play down against the Spurs. I think he's probably doubtful against the Cavs on Wednesday, but we'll see, you know, he's in the concussion protocol still. So you never know, but he's been some encouraging signs, but through the first five games, I've been, uh, impressed because I've, they've been, they have exceeded their expectations. And what I mean by that is Olin Depot looks like a pretty good, Good take back in the Paul George, which they're they don't look like the Pacers got fleeced at least. Only looks like he could be a twenty point a game guy. I think he's going to average twenty points this year. Which you know, considering only Paul George only averaged twenty three points last year, if Only Depot averages twenty, that at least gets you back some of that on the offensive end. And then just the team has played incredibly at a fast. I mean, they surprised I think the Timberwolves with how fast they played, and I think early on they're in better shape than a lot of other teams that are playing. That's how they've kind of looked better than they maybe actually are because I think a lot of the NBA teams are still kind of rounding into form shape wise. I think the Pacers have been working their butts off in the offseason to get like incredible. So like Olin Depot is looks like one of the fastest guys in the court. I mean, all these guys look like they can play 30 minutes at just like this incredibly up and down pace. I mean, their pace are averaging, I think somewhere in the one fifteens in points. What, what has the early return on, on all the Depot and Sabonis been? I, I don't know how you felt about the, the Paul George trade, but I think most people would say that was a objectively low return for, for a, a very, very good player. And, um, you know, all has got that contract, and I know Sabonis' stats have been really, really good to start the year. But what has what has the early your early feel on them been in Indiana? Um, so, you know, I at first didn't like the Paul George trade. I probably still don't like it in hindsight, just because how they weren't able to get some kind of pick in some sense. But I think uh, their GM Kevin Pritchard at least saw something in Olin Depot that he thought could become kind of maybe not the number one on a team like Paul George could be, but you know, a number two on a good team could be kind of a quality guy on a playoff team. And I, and that was really good. I think Olin Depot is ultimately going to be the centerpiece of this trade. And then Sabonis, who's just been given a ton of opportunities with Turner's injury has been playing really awesome. I mean, he looks like he fits better at the center position, which he wasn't played at last year. It, in my opinion, I think Olin Depot and Sabonis were both kind of not utilized to their strengths last year. And so now they're actually being played in the right situation. They look a lot better because, you know, playing with Russell Westbrook is to play a certain way. You see that with Paul George. You see that with Carmelo. They're both adjusting. It's hard to play with a guy who's so ball dominant. And all of a sudden, when you come to a team where, hey, Old Depot, you're going to be the offensive centerpiece. So bonus, you're going to get 10 shots a game. You're going to be, you know, your job is to get rebounds and put putbacks. You know, it's not to like, you know, let Westbrook shoot three to triple doubles. So it's, it's a little bit different. And I think it's it showed some of the strengths that they weren't able to show last season. What what else about this team has stood out for you? I know it's it's early. We have to put hashtag small sample size theater on on everything we're sort of watching right now. But um, what has stood out to you? I I mean, for me, I'll just say this: I, TJ Leaf has been like fun, and I didn't really expect that, having watched a little bit of him I did in college. But um, what what for you has has stood out that's been kind of surprising with this Pacers team? Yeah, TJ Leaf is one of those guys. I lean towards Darren Collison. Um, I wrote about Collison a bunch this summer. Uh, Cause I just thought he was sort of like, 
the definition of just an average or below average point guard where like you bring him in when you can't find a number one guy, another guy, he's probably like the 20th best point guard of the NBA, maybe in the, even close to 25th of the 32 NBA te- or yeah, 32 NBA teams. So he's been surprising. I mean, he is basically kind of taken this veteran, like I'm going to control the offense. You know, I'm going to dictate how the pace goes, whether we push, whether we slow down at moments and, He's he had an incredible game against Minnesota. We had like 16 assists, which, I mean, for guys for a guy like him, that's awesome. And he's just been such a good job at kind of, you know, knowing his role, but also knowing when to give on Depot the ball, when to tell, tell Lance Stevenson, "I'm in control. Go sit over there and wait for the pass from me," and sort of thing. And he's been really finding his kind of his groove with this team because, like I said, they're playing at such a high pace that Collison has kind of figured out that that's a good pace for him to play at because he's not necessarily the most talented strongest tallest guy on the court but he's pretty quick and he can kind of like steal easy points here and there and he's done a really good job of it you know on fast breaks on two on three just going right at the rim and hitting a layup or even kind of setting guys up really nicely on some of these like three on threes you know where the where not everybody's back and it's kind of been kind of a scramble all around what are they missing with turner out that i mean obviously what he is is one of the best young because in the league maybe a little bit under undervalued considering the guy the guys like porzingis and townsend and bead have just a higher name value right now, but what are they missing right now in the lineup that you're hoping to see down the road when these two teams end up to play again, because they're in the same division and we'll play four times this year. What are, what are this, what is this Pacers team missing without miles Turner on the floor? Depth depth. It's the number one thing for this team right now has been depth. They played back to back, back to back games. So that means I think they played Portland, Miami on a Monday and on a Friday and Saturday. And then they played Minnesota in Oklahoma city on a Monday, Tuesday. So like they just had they've had like you know when you play back to backs you need to play all your guys like thirty minutes to kind of you know because people are tired and you can just see it because they're forced to play Al Jefferson more than they want to and they just the team just doesn't quite have that off the bench kind of edge that they could have if if Turner was there because it could allow Olin Depot to play more bench minutes it would it would just sort of change the dynamics of this team just to make it like slightly better because I like I said to the first five games to be two and three and haven't beat Minnesota who I think is even though with all their kind of, you know, they had never won 50 games. They're one of the better teams in the league, at least talent-wise, and to do that was awesome. And so I think with Turner here, they just get a little bit better in offense. They get a little more depth. You know, it allows maybe Turner to play with the bench unit more or Sabonis to switch to the bench unit and adds a little bit of just a little more spark so they don't necessarily blow these games on the bench because that kind of happened against Oklahoma City in Minnesota where the starters were awesome. Bench came in, was very mediocre. With Oklahoma City, they were pretty bad and kind of like blew the game for the team. He him that being there to me is kind of a bummer because I he's still so young and still kind of figuring stuff out. But I just wanted to see how him and, and Sabonis and like their this rebuild would sort of go. I mean, just looking at how they're dealing with with post Paul George, what what is your your general view on what their outlook should be beyond this year? It's one of the things I don't you know necessarily know. But what would you say their outlook for the next few years really is? Or and if it's different from what you what it is, what do you think it should be? Well. Uh, it's probably two things. One is they got to plan for the post LeBron era. I know all the Cavs fans out there are probably thinking, you know, there's up there where it's going to go, but what let's ignore that even just, even if LeBron stays with the Cavs the rest of his career, you know, they have to think four or five years, LeBron may not be the player he is today. He'll be like 38 by then, but they kind of got to look at it through the lens of miles Turner. Um, one of uh, friends of our podcast, Caitlin Cooper always talks about how the Bayers have to build around through the lens of, does this make Turner better or worse? Because he's kind of the new centerpiece for this team in the future. And so a guy like Sabonis, a guy like Olin Depot, um, even a guy like TJ Leaf, are like those are the kind of the four guys I think will be on this team probably in the next in four years from now. We'll say those four guys will still be on the team. 
and it's how those guys make Turner better in some sense. And so far, it's encouraging because I think Sabonis can 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 slot next to Turner, maybe playing in the center position, and we'll have to see how that kind of works because there's a dynamic there where I wonder if Turner maybe would be better off actually playing the four next to Sabonis because of the way Sabonis plays. But Oladipo, you know, if he's able to draw defenders like like Paul George was because he's a really a, a, a nice threat from either three-point range or just scoring at times, that's going to help Turner no matter what. Because if there's another option, the Turner's not going to be double teamed at times and he'll get better looks. And so then Leaf, you know, Leaf is obviously young. You just, you don't know with him yet. He looked pretty good offensively. If he can do that and somehow get a, you know, in the next couple of years, build get a little stronger and get his, def- and his defense better, he can be a quality rotation guy on the Spacer team in three years. Yeah, Caitlin is – she's been on Locked on Cavs before a couple of months ago. But you can, I think her Twitter handle is C2 underscore Cooper. Yes, yes um, it is. She, Everybody should follow her. Yeah, she's she's awesome. She just wrote a piece that I would recommend people read um, about Victor Aldebo getting to the free throw line a bunch early on this year and how that's been a big change for him. It's, I mean, it's a smart observation. What what, what do you think of Aldebo? Um, I, like I said, I've been impressed in – I think his scoring is sustainable. So, like she talked about, talked about his ability to get to the line, which is something that it kind of, in my opinion, differentiates. You know, the the bot, like the 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 stars this league and the superstars in some sense. So, like James Harden, for example, Russell Westbrook, those guys get to the line like ten to twelve times a game. I think that was what was missing in Paul George's game from going from hey, I'm like a star versus I'm a superstar is getting to the line because if you get to the line ten to twelve times a game and you're a good NBA player, it's like free points. I mean, it's the best way to get this, this average twenty-five points a game is to shoot twelve free throws a game. I, I don't. I think I'm I'm doing it off the top of my head, but I'm almost certain Harden as average is twelve free throws a game, and he shoots like 89 percent from there. So he probably makes eleven of those a game. I mean, that's that's eleven easy points from on top of you know if the guy can shoot thirty-five percent from three and fifty percent from the field. Which at this point right now, Owen Depot's averaging. I think he's at. 50, 45, uh, 89, like almost that 50, 40, 90 club, which is probably not sustainable all year. But if he just keeps attacking the rim and getting fouled, he'll be able to get 20 points because he'll get eight easy points to the free throw line. And then the rest you can kind of get throughout the game because he's at least that good offensive player. He's not, you know, been a high volume shooter, which is something that's been encouraging by him. Uh, as a reminder, everyone out there can find these two podcasts and all of the Locked On NBA podcasts in one feed on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts or, like, excuse me, use Overcast. Uh, it is the – just search Locked On Podcast, and you can get every NBA team in one place. Um, I, that's what I do to prep for games when, when I listen to Locked On Pacers and the Cavs are coming up against the Pacers. If they're playing the Kings, listen to Locked On Kings. You will get no better analysis than on those – podcast it is the local angle the biggest stories in every market every nba team is covered and you're gonna if you want to be an informed fan i cannot recommend the entire network enough but adam what are you expecting out of this game on wednesday like what is like i don't just what are you looking to see the Cavs are in a weird spot i'll just say that i don't know um, i can't stress that enough that they they probably will be like if you just watch this game they're going to be bad on defense LeBron is probably going to have a really good game because he's been awesome to start the year. And they're they, they're going to look kind of weird otherwise. But what, what are you expecting out of this game from the Indiana side of things? Um, Like you said, I do expect it to be a high-scoring game. Both of these teams clearly don't play a ton of defense. Uh, I got the Pacers number in front of me. I think they're letting up. The Pacers are you know, they're scoring 114 a game right now. So that's – I mean, and their defensive rating has got to be in the 110s, 115s. It's, it's just not been very good as a team. Um. So I, I'm thinking a game in the 110s, 115s, maybe even 120s, just because I think the Pacers are not a great three-point defending team. I think the Cavs will take a ton of threes because that's just the way that these teams teams are built now. But I also think the Cavs are not that great on D. And 
I'm not sure the Pacers don't really have a guy to, to guard LeBron, but I'm not sure unless LeBron guards Olin Depot, there's any player, at least on in the guard wise on the Cavs. I don't know what your thoughts are. They can guard Olin Depot. So I expect those two guys to have the biggest nights. If Turner returns, he might have a pretty good night. He likes going against LeBron. A lot of times, a lot of these guys in the league like playing LeBron sometimes because it lets them, gives them a national stage and they have to play against the best guy in the world. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think this is going to be a very high scoring game. I, I would agree with that. The Cavs, you know, well, I, if you just, I'm writing about this right now. Is if you're listening to this, it's probably up on throughthesword.com by the time you get to this podcast. But the Cavs have been atrocious defending the three point line. They, they just have not been closing guys out. Even like LeBron, I, it's, it's the example I wrote about already, but um, there's, there's, you know, playing the Nets when they lost to Brooklyn last week. And LeBron was near the corner of Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, who's not a good shooter, to be fair. And LeBron just didn't close out on him and just gave him a wide open corner three. They're just not really closing out on, on guys when they're open. Um, that that's a problem. And, and I think that that's been a consistent issue for them. Um, I would expect a high screen game as well. I think Jr. if he's locked in can probably do enough on all deep, but to kind of slow him down some, um, you know, we'll see how they handle some of the spacier things. I mean, will they, you know, maybe, maybe giving Thad Young a little bit more room will, will help him, uh, you know, maybe giving all a little bit extra room if they don't give him, if they don't kind of force him to create a bunch, we'll, give him an advantage that he might need there. Those are interesting questions for sure. And I, I would expect a high scoring game as well. I, I think the Cavs have though, just things that are kind of built into their team that to me feel like this should be a, an easy game for them just because I don't know who in Indiana can credibly guard LeBron for one and two, how, you know, who's going to really be able to, I mean, Fed Young is solid, but like, I don't know if he's going to be able to, fully contain Kevin Love or how do you deal with Thompson's rebounding and a lot of it will depend on you know what you're getting out of guys like J.R. Smith is J.R. Smith hitting threes which he hasn't yet I, I feel like the math game maybe gets a little bit tricky for Indiana but the Cavs have played down two teams as level so far this year I mean they on paper they they are better than the Magic I mean like it's not even just on paper like they are a better team than the Magic the Bulls the Pelicans and the Nets and these are teams that they they went one and three against in, in a recent stretch of games so it wouldn't shock me if it's a close high scoring game and the Cavs, I mean, until LeBron came back, if you just think about Tristan, if you think about other guys, I mean, it's really, it's really, it was really Tristan and Kyrie. They had a hard time winning in Indiana for a couple of years there. Um, it was a thing where the Cavs could just not win in Indiana. And until LeBron came back, that was the thing. And it's still been a hard place to play. Those, those playoff games last year were incredibly entertaining and incredibly back and forth. And even if the Cavs ended up sweeping the series. So I, I would agree with you. I think a high scoring game, where at least I think on the Cavs side of things, you kind of get a kind of a, a, another check on where they're at with two days off and two days to maybe game plan and fixing things off the court. Maybe that maybe that helps them a little bit. Yeah. One thing to note for the Pacers is it is a back-to-back, a second night of a back-to-back for them. So that could hurt them. I think it's it's they're both home games for Indiana. So they play Sacramento at home on Tuesday and they play uh, the Cavs at home on Wednesday. So it's not like they're traveling or anything. But that's, that's always a thing, back-to-backs always you know kind of our scheduled losses um with your jr point i you know you talk about jr being locked in i think that's a big if at this point in the season i think like you said too the Cavs should be six and oh they're like theoretically right now they haven't played a team that i think is better than them now there aren't many teams in this league that are better than them they are a top three to five team in this league somewhere wherever you want to put them definitely the best team in the eastern conference um but you know like you said they played down and you know, I think the Pacers are playing with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder right now. I think that's going to continue. I think they're going to play at this incredibly high pace. It's just, it's whether they, you know, it's going to sound really simple, but it's, you know, they shot 67% against um, 
Minnesota on Monday, and then they didn't shoot that well against Oklahoma City. And it's a make-or-miss league at times. Really, that's what it comes down to. But if the Cavs are not you know, closing down on defense, closing out on shots, it'll be easier for the Pacers to get, get more points because open NBA players can make open shots. So, you know, I, I like it to be a high-scoring game, like you said. I have one thing I want to ask you, though. Do, what's mm. kind of the one thing – so if I'm a Patriot fan and I have not watched the Cavs this year, what's the one thing that from last year this year that I'm going to see that's like a little bit different? I know you've, you've added D. Wade and D. Rose, but is that, is that just the difference? Is there going to be some kind of style? Like, is there anything that's changed with this Cavs team that they're trying different at least? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think what I mentioned earlier about love pushing the ball off rebounds would be one thing. The but I I would I think it's a good point that you bring up Wade and Rose because they do like just Wade himself. Wade himself is something that they haven't really had. Um, you know, I mean, just with you, you will notice a different style without Kyrie. I mean, I think it's still being sorted out. I mean, when they've looked differently in every game in in some ways, and they're doing different things game to game. But I think one of the things we've seen is. They're, they're different without Kai. They're just different without Curry because you don't have that guy at that position doing what he does. I mean, Rose is not going to do a Kyrie. Like he just can't do that. Um, you know, right now they're, they're, fig- they're trying to figure out what Dwayne would draw. He was invisible early on when he was starting and he couldn't really figure himself out in, in those lineups where he, they weren't going to defer to him. And now they're running bench units with him right now, at least where it's him and, and four other bench players. They're not no LeBron, no Kevin Love. And I think that'll change. And maybe that'll be start to be pushed in on Wednesday, but that, that's kind of what you're seeing. So I, I think it's just weird considering what the Cavs have been the last three years, making three finals, just seeing the guys that are out there. Cause it is Jay Crowder. It is Dwayne Wade. It is Derek Rose. Assuming he plays, it is, it is, uh, you know, less Shumpert and, and you're seeing just different guys that you're not used to seeing. The Cavs team looks just different. And I think that in itself is kind of weird considering again, like this team has been a through was went to three straight finals and it's, I mean, you have the, you have the two two big pieces still there. You have other key role players there, but the complexion in the middle of the roster is a little bit different. And you will see them do different things because they're trying to replace Kyrie Irving with guys that are nothing what Kyrie Irving does, and and that that just kind of plays itself out in how they play. And it's it is a style difference in a sense that I think they're playing a little bit faster with the still bad defense just kind of there on the other end. Yeah, and I don't know how you feel this. You probably feel the same way, but. Ultimately, the team the Pacers see on Wednesday will not be the team they see when they play them probably later in the year. I assume they probably, I mean, they, like I said, the Pacers and Cavs play all the time. So, um, you know, they're probably they're going to play four times this year. But, you know, it won't be the same team they see. So they play them in November 1, then they play them in December, then January twice. So by about January 12th, when they play their third match, I imagine the Cavs team will look a lot different. There's a chance Isaiah could be back. Who knows with that? But just yeah. the team will have got better chemistry because that's what happens. I think a lot of time with LeBron teams is it takes a little bit for the team to get the chemistry going. It was he had issues when he first went to Miami, when he first came back to Cleveland. And I know the team is somewhat the same, but they brought in you know Jay Crowder as a big new piece. They brought in D Rose as another new piece, and so you know it's just figuring out some of those chemistry issues. And I think ultimately, like any LeBron team, they'll they'll be ready to go by April. Yeah, and I, and I think the Isaiah thing is worth pointing out because I I've been talking about this with uh, my colleague Justin Rowan and Carter Rodriguez that the Cavs are in this position where Wade is doing something now that I I think that's sort of what Rose might have been signed for, and I think when when Isaiah comes back, I think what he provides offensively, how versatile he can be offensively, and and provide the shooting, I think he's just going to be a better fit with what they need. And then I kind of think Wade and Rose have overlapping roles. It wouldn't shock me if Derek Rose is a, is a fringe rotation player 
at best when Isaiah is fully settled in. And I, and I think this team, just because of Isaiah, because the, the, the possibility that they do make a move because they can trade their own first round pick and have Channing for a salary in these different things, it wouldn't shock me if the team does look different in a couple months. And that that's certainly a really a good point on your part. Yeah. So this is my question for you. You might have another one or two for me, but do you think LeBron wins the MVP this year? You know, he has to kind of take on more of a load than he has normally because he can't defer to Kyrie all the time. You think LeBron, if he averages right now, he's averaging 27, nine and eight, because he keeps it up. You think he can win the MVP? Yeah, but I think the Cavs would have to be number one in the East and play just kind of better than they have. But I, cause I think there's real voter fatigue with him. Um, and, and I think that just if they, if they play like this all year and just win like 45 games or something like that, I, I don't think so. But if they end up winning 50 some games and they dominate the Easter and, and that, and like, again, if other candidates don't separate themselves, um, you know, like if, if Kawhi is out for a while, maybe that keeps him from being in contention and, you know, yeah, maybe Giannis cools off. So like that, that other stuff would have to happen, but it wouldn't shock me. He was my pick coming into the year. Um, but that certainly, I mean, right now I would, I would say I was probably wrong guessing that, but that certainly could change. Um, yeah. My I last question. Yeah. Go oh. ahead. I, mean, I would say, yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I had LeBron as my MVP. Uh, what's what's your question? My bad. No, I know you're totally good. I, I, I kind of thought like there could be like a like a Russ light narrative for him if things went right. But I mean, it's it's still early. But how it's looked so far, I would say that that doesn't seem to be going off to a particularly uh, good start because I think you have to have a certain number of wins. They're going to get those wins, but we'll have to kind of see how it plays out and going on. But just I don't because I, I just don't know how you would view Indiana. I don't even know exactly how I view them. But if right now, if if you're looking at what they're going to be looking ahead towards the draft next year, where do where are they in terms of the league's worst teams? I mean, are they near the bottom of the barrel? Are they just slightly above that? Are they closer to the middle than we might think? Where where do you think they end up falling on that and that hierarchy? All right, I'm going to pull up the NBA standing just because I I, I don't want to skip a team. So 100, I think the Knicks, Bulls, and Hawks are worse than them. I, at least in the Eastern Conference. If you go mm-hmm. out west, I would probably say Sacramento, Suns, and probably the Mavs. So they're probably not one of the bottom six teams. So then it ends up, you know, they're probably in an even range with like a Charlotte, a Philly. I know Orlando's killing it right now, but they'll come back down to earth, I assume, at some point, and so will Detroit. So they're probably somewhere around that level. They're probably in the bottom of that, like, not bot. Like, say, let's say there's a bottom tier and there's second to bottom tier. They're probably in the bottom of that second to bottom tier. But I think there's an outside chance, you know, they could win 35 games maybe, and that could get the eight seed. That's my kind of hope, at least for this team, because I I mean, it's either, you know, they get stuck in this kind of uh, cycle of mediocrity where they end up with like the 10th pick every year that doesn't really do anything for the team. Obviously, Indiana's done a great job picking, so maybe they could pull out another Paul George, another Miles Turner with the 10th pick. But it's just not, it's rare. It's just rare. So, you know, you either want them to make the playoffs so they have some hope for the future or completely bottom out into a top three pick. But I just don't see them going that route right now. The team looks like they're trying too hard. Like they're not that trying too hard, but they, but they care too much about winning. You know, the team has too much pride to just say like the Bulls or the Hawks, like screw this. We're going to win 20 games and get a, and get the Marvin Bagley, Michael Porters of the world. So I see them kind of probably in the 28 to 35 win range at this point. Yeah. That, that's a tough place to be. The, the Cavs in hoping the Nets are going to be really bad, might have the same thing with that pick and maybe not as being quite as valuable, but yeah, I mean, I think that that sounds about right because the Bulls and the Hawks and all these other teams are actively just trying to be be terrible, and the Mavs just might be terrible. And the Pacers, you know, in, in the weaker conference, and aren't as bad as these other three other teams. So that that certainly kind of complicates things. Yeah, the Suns, the Bulls, and the Hawks are for sure going to maybe win combined fifty games. I mean, like 
maybe a little more than probably maybe 60 is the right number, but you know, there those three teams have no desire. It looks like to win games this year. They just don't seem like they care about, you know, trying to win on games. They they're after the uh, Luke, Luke Donich Porter or Marvin Bagley. Those they're looking at one of those three guys. That's like, that's where their minds are right now. Yeah. Which you, I mean, you can understand those are, uh, it seems like it's a top heavy draft and it, and it's, those are the guys that change your franchise if, if they are what you draft them to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's really hard to get like, a Paul George at number 10. Like it's yeah. really rare to do that. Or Kawhi Leonard at 15 or like Steph Curry at like even eight. Like those, that's a rare thing. Yeah. What's sad is the Pacers drafted two of those guys and now neither one of them is on their roster, but that's, that's another point for another yeah. day. Uh, yeah. You got anything else you want to talk about? No, nah, just everyone should follow. You can find me on Twitter at CWM rights. You can find the podcast on Twitter at lockdown calves. Um, and then you writing anything for uh fan sided. This week? Uh, you can find, yeah, you can find my power rankings at Fansided, and you can find daily Cavs coverage at uh, fearthesword.com. All right, awesome. Uh, this has been the Locked On Pacers, Locked On Cavs crossover podcast for their Wednesday game. Uh, make sure you can listen to that game, I assume, on local stations. Uh, you can follow, like I said, Locked On Pacers on Twitter. You'll follow me at FriedmanAdam5. Do you want to throw out your handle too, Chris? Yeah, it is at CWM Rights. So you can follow him there. Uh, for more Pacer stuff, obviously, you can find it find on the Locked On Podcast uh, Network. And for more Cavs stuff, you can find it on the Locked On Cavs. This has been today's show. Have a great rest of your day. 